My guest on Personally Speaking is the great film director, Ted Melfi. Please stay with us. Welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Jim Lasanti, and director, screenwriter, and producer Theodore Malfi joins me now. Ted, as he's known, earned a pair of Oscar nominations for the 2016 film Hidden Figures for Best Picture and Best Adapted Screenplay. Ted made his directorial debut in 2014 with the acclaimed and absolutely delightful film called St. Vincent, starring Bill Murray. Ted served as both director and producer of the Netflix film, The Starling, starring Melissa McCarthy. Ted is married to Kimberly, and together they have two daughters, Taylor and Addison. He's here with us today to talk about his life, his career, his family, and the values and faith that matter the most to him. Joining me now, I'm so pleased to welcome to Personally Speaking, film director, Ted Melfi. Ted Melfi, thanks for being on our program. And let me begin with a very basic question. When I see someone named Ted who is baptized Theodore, I wonder to myself, did his parents have a thing for Teddy Roosevelt? How did you get the name Theodore? I was born on Theodore Roosevelt's birthday. Ah, okay. And they didn't have a name for me, so I popped out, and then they looked on the calendar, and there it was. So there's a great connection then. Good. Now, you should have volunteered to take the statue from the Museum of uh, the Natural History Museum in New York, they've now shipped it out to the Dakotas. Used to be a great statue of Teddy Roosevelt on the front of that museum, but it was uh, politically right. incorrect, so it's been moved. Here's a question for you. For those of our listeners who don't know, Ted Melfi has a, a very powerful essay that he wrote for Variety. And when I read it about your life, Ted, I thought to myself, out of this chaos has come a, a productive, somewhat organized uh, a life of accomplishment, you know, like how out of chaos did the calm, if it's calm, of your present life come to be? Uh, oh, boy. Well, I would say um, I would say, number one, God did it. And I didn't do it. So okay. God, God, God did it. I, I, it was beyond my control, my my upbringing. And uh, only God can bring out of something like that. And yeah. my mom had a very, very, very strong faith. My mom was a nun. Yeah. Uh, very strong faith, so instilled that in all three of uh, all three of us at, a, at an early age. I was an altar boy. Um, I grew up in the church. I think my faith has kept me uh, sane and straight, and and moving forward mm-hmm. and productive. And you know, um, he made a path where there was none. So I would wow. just I would say it's all that's all. I mean, I would say it's all God, basically. Ted, part of the uh, part of the stability, I would imagine, is finding the right people to love in life. Now, every weekend I get to do weddings and I always ask the couples to write me an essay of why the of the billions of people out there you could marry. Why is this the one uh, in your case? Why Amanda? Why Amanda? You mean uh, my wife? Kim. Oh, yeah. Kimberly. I, bet. <laughs> 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 I was like. I was like, oh, do I know it? Do I know it, Amanda? <laughs> no, we definitely don't want to go that way. <laughs> no, no, so Kimberly, no. Kimberly, Kimberly, it was my mistake, Kimberly. There is no Amanda. Okay. <laughs> well, why, uh, Kim, why Kimberly? Oh, you know what? I was I had moved out to LA in 1996, right after the earthquake, and I was kind of 
trying to figure out my life and I was floundering. I moved out to Los Angeles with $600 and a Ford Fiesta. Um, <laughs> and and uh, that quickly, that $600 quickly ran out. Uh, and I was kind of floundering, not knowing what I was going to do with my life. And I had been there for a year, um, still, you know, kind of at a dead end place with, with trying to find work in the entertainment business as a writer, as anything, as, as right. anything. And um, a friend of mine said, oh, I, I was PAing, you know, I was doing a PA job on, which is a production assistant job for those who don't know, mm -hmm. which is the lowest level entry level of, in the film business. It's basically the gopher, you know, go, go get that, right. go get that, right. go for that, go for that. So, um, but I was making, you know, 75 bucks a day and just barely getting by. And I was uh, very sad one night, very, very kind of lonely and depressed and, and didn't know what I was going to do. And I, I literally, I literally started crying and said a prayer and said, God, if you want me to be here in Los Angeles, this is what you want me to do. You got you to help me out. You got to give me some sort of sign. Mm -hmm. The next day I met Kim uh, in an acting class. Huh? And I, I, the minute I saw her, I said, oh, I, I didn't know that was the sign at the time, but I, I knew that was the sign like a month later. Okay. We started we started dating and then we got married a year after that. Now you and Kimberly have uh, have had the great experience of of being parents. I'm just wondering, you know, the values that were planted in you, especially by your mom. Have you and Kimberly figured out a way to effectively pass right values on to the children you love? Yeah, I mean, yes. I would say the short answer is yes. And uh, you know what, what's funny about kids, kids, people in general, but Right. Addie came out of the womb praying. I, I don't know where she got it, but she came <laughs> out of the womb praying. And we were like, okay, because we weren't, we weren't like uh, going to church every weekend or anything like that. We weren't pushing it anything on, anything on her. And she came out of the womb just praying to God. And we were like, okay, so that, that's, that's how that works. <laughs> and, then, and then over the years, um, we got her into a church. And now that we're in Florida, uh, I think the way into – God for kids is get them around other kids. Mm. So they're around other kids that believe. And now she's in Florida and she went to this youth group uh, at Victory Church in Boca Raton. And uh, I mean, that, that church, the church is on fire. There must be, there must be hundreds of young kids wow. under 15. And so she goes to this youth group on Wednesday nights and, and they don't want to leave. <laughs> That's great. And they're there till, you know, they're supposed to be done at nine. They're there till 11 midnight just hanging out and, and enjoying their, their company and their fellowship. And I think you got to find like-minded people and, and youth, youth uh, attracts youth. I mean, they don't want to hear from you. They don't want to hear God from you or me, yeah, <laughs> uh, no. maybe, maybe from you, but not from me. Um, anyway, you, you, you know, that really, that really helped. And really, no, worked. I think that's a great idea. In fact, you're encouraging me to do more for youth ministry in my parish. Cause you're right. Young bring young. And uh, yeah. they find out that it's okay, it's respectable, it's cool to uh, it's be cool. a God person, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you're this dad and, and trying to raise the family the best you can. But again, by your own testimony, your own dad was an interesting, fascinating, challenging guy. When I read about him, though, I found myself uh, thinking to myself, no matter what a person does, what mistakes they make along the way, we're inclined to love our parents no matter what. Um, how have you put together the ability to not like some of the stuff he stood for, but also not to lose the ability to love a difficult man. Well, I, I look back at it now and I say, you know, thank God for him because he gave me all of the qualities that have actually helped me become um, uh, somewhat successful in this business. 
he was an incredibly, incredibly hard worker, uh, worked night and day. He worked us night and day, <laughs> mm-hmm. which, um, which, which I, I look back at and go, I didn't really have a, a childhood, but um, I, I also got a work, that, work ethic unlike most people. Uh, and he gave that to me. And he also, he also taught me how to write. Yeah. Um, my dad had a newspaper at one point and made each one of the boys of three of us write a, a monthly column that he would publish in the newspaper. And it could be about anything. He said, he said it could be about anything. You're just, just going to write. So I wrote about, you know, WWF wrestling or football yeah. or anything like that. And he taught me how to write. He, he, he corrected my work and, and uh, my mom corrected my work. And over the years, I just, I wrote for uh, probably seven years in the newspaper once a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I look back at it and go, you know what, there's a method to the madness and a method to the chaos and a purpose for the chaos, right? <laughs> yeah. Purpose for the chaos. And God puts you in that storm at, at some point. Um, and going through it, you think, oh, it's not unlike the, it's not unlike the disciples in the boat <laughs> and, right. uh, yeah. and the wind and the wind and the storm comes and Jesus is sleeping and he goes, he wakes up and goes, you knuckleheads like yeah. with no faith and he just touches the the water and calms it. For um, our friends who may or may not know Ted's work, Ted, one of the ways I got introduced to you was obviously through uh, Hidden Figures. And I wondered, because you wrote the screenplay as well as directed it, your experience growing up of of racism, the church saying it's a sin, we hear it, but I don't know if it means a whole lot to us. Like in confession, I'll be honest with you, I can't remember anybody in 40 years of priesthood of anybody saying, bless me, Father, I have sinned. I think I have racist tendencies. So it's out there and it's real, but I don't think most of us see it as my personal sin. Something informed your conscience that made you want to uh, bring this discussion into a wider audience through hidden figures. Uh, what's your background in terms of grappling with racism, and and if any insights into how we move into a healed America, a healed world, by uh, dealing with it well and moving past that inclination? Yeah, it's tricky. It's a tricky conversation because people say this all the time. But but growing up, um, growing up in Brooklyn, mm. on the streets of Brooklyn. Um, you didn't really have, I personally didn't have a concept of racism. So mm-hmm. my best friends were, were black and Albanian and Puerto Rican and Chinese. Those are my best friends. Those are the people I went to school with. Those are the people on the block. Yeah. So um, you walk to school every day with them. I walked to school with my best friend, Victor from Puerto Rico every day and Tony from across the street, both Puerto Rican guys. Um, and we went to Brooklyn tech and you just didn't, uh, you just didn't register. You just didn't think, Oh, this person's Skin color is different. I should treat them differently. Just they were just your friend. You played handball with them. You worked with them. You went to school with them. So my concept of racism growing up was I didn't have one. Strangely yeah, enough, yeah, I yeah. didn't have one. My my dad never never presented that way, and my mom never presented that way. Um, and they they accepted our friends and who we hung out with all the time. So, uh, what's the lesson in there, mm-hmm. right? What's or what's the what's the spotlight that can shine on that because i think many people had my experience growing up in brooklyn many 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 yeah. people who just grew up in you know new york's a melting pot and when you grow up in a melting pot you're mm-hmm. you're, you're you're all melted right you're yeah. all you're all melded and melt, melted together i think uh the lesson in there is to we we are so racism is a, is a problem a big, huge problem culturally and socially and economically right everyone everyone knows that we all we all know that um but maybe there's too much focus on it. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need to get back to um, 
I, I don't care what the color of your skin is. I love people. I love humans. I don't really, I yeah. don't really care. And I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to teach that. I don't know how to train that. But I think when you're hyper-focused on something so much as we are as a society on it, mm-hmm. it doesn't actually make it better. Yeah. It makes you more aware of it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I also a Brooklyn boy here, and, and uh, I went back recently to the neighborhood where we lived. And back then, it was so mixed. You're right. We didn't see the differences. But now the neighborhood is completely black. And I was sorry for that because I think the mixture actually helps us to uh, open our hearts and minds. Um, I have to tell you that one of my greatest friendships uh, over the years with Frank Capra, the film director, I got to do his funeral and I love the man and vacation with him. I mention all that because one of the things he faced as a director was the fact that he was a positive spirit, but they call it Capricorn sentimentality. Some mm-hmm. of the reviews that I've read about your stuff, whether it's Starling or, or Hidden Figures, sometimes people say you're a sentimentalist too. Are you guilty as charged? And if you are, are you okay for defending that? <laughs> well, look, there's a difference between um, sentiment and sentimentality. Okay. So the films I work in and the things that are tra- I'm attracted to are things that have sentiment, real, yeah. real, yeah. real human emotion. So if feeling good mm-hmm. and life working out is bad, I'm guilty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you want uh, everything to be dire and dark and negative, I'm not guilty. Yeah. So reviewers uh, are just attracted to darkness. Yeah, they are. They're just attracted to the darkness. And that's not my problem. Yeah. And, I, and I make no apologies for my work. They're attracted to darkness. They really don't have a sense of hope. Mm-hmm. They're cynical, hence the word, yeah. critic. Um, and like I think a lot of them are struggling or frustrated uh, artists themselves. Mm-hmm. And so they've they've gravitated towards towards a job where they can beat beat down uh, everyone or every every other thing. So I think it's kind of a honestly, yeah. if I can be blunt about it, I think it's a sad profession. I yeah. think it's lost. It's um, I think when Siskel and Ebert went away, the profession died. Yeah. Yeah. Because they were two class acts mm-hmm. who could disagree, who could hate a movie but did it with class and with style. And now all you have is vitriol and vile and just some of the words you hear in the review, you're like, who, who are you? Go hug your mom, man. I mean, go, go hug yeah. your mom because it's just, to me, it's like sad. So I don't, I don't defend my work <laughs> and I don't really, I don't, I don't really care. Um, the proof is in the pudding, you know, uh, yeah. hidden figures made almost $500 million. Yeah. St. Vincent made a hundred million dollars. Uh, the Starling it was seen by 60 million people on Netflix. Wow. Uh, so, you know, how many, go how many, Ted. Go Ted. No, I'm just saying how many, who, who likes the movie? Who, who watches the movie? People. Yeah. Yeah. People, yeah, human beings like me and that. you who want to watch a movie and feel good about themselves and see yeah. that life actually does work out. You know, when, uh, Stephen Sondheim, the great composer passed away, there were a bunch of, uh, commentaries on his life, but one critic said, uh, you know, I like some of his stuff, but once in a while he'd get too sentimental and things like children will listen, children will learn. And I thought to myself, that's one of my favorite songs of Stephen Sondheim, celebrating children. And this guy doesn't like it because it's too given to that's sentimentality. Right. But you're right. There's a cynicism, a jadedness. And the 1946 reviews of It's a Wonderful Life are not kind. Oh, they're uh, terrible. 
they were terrible, but even more so now in the way they, they hatched people. Okay, now let's uh, talk about you for a second. Let's go back to uh, another side of you. I love this, but this is what you called your mom, Anne, in that wonderful article you wrote. An angel, kind, loving, gentle, and yes, shy and insecure. What part of Anne is in you? Uh, all of that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, all of that. You know, I got, I got, I got my dad's tough uh, um, mobster. <laughs> mobster lingo and um I'm, I'm i'm big like my father and uh i can be imposing i guess to to myself and to others but ultimately i'm i'm just like my mom who is just was you know gentle and delicate and fragile in a way mm-hmm. um my mom was fragile and yet super super smart and and um you know, she was the glue for us. You know, my dad left under very weird circumstances, as you know. And my mom went back to nursing school at 48 years old and became a nurse at 50 to three to raise three boys to finish the job. And so that's who she was. Right. So yeah. a single mom nurse with three kids in the middle of Missouri um, with no money. And she figured it out. So, you know, I, 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 I um, lift up all moms everywhere especially single moms it's a job that's like just impossible and to do it with grace is even more Mm -hmm. possible you know i know that while you were making starling uh, Anne passed away i i have responsibility for my 101 year old mom i mentioned that because i love her and even at 101 when it's time i will miss it terribly and i think it'll break my heart in a way how how did you go through the process of of uh grief, letting go, the experience of death of somebody you obviously loved and respected so much. Is there a right and wrong way to handle that kind of loss, Ted? Uh, there's no right or wrong way to experience grief or to get through grief. The only, the only, the only wrong way is to not experience it. Mm. Right? Um, you have to process it at some point. I'm still processing my mom uh, passing away. And I think part of that is because I didn't get to be with her for the last mm-hmm. three months because of COVID. She was in the facility. Uh, with advanced Alzheimer's and they would not let me visit her. Um, And so I I didn't really get to say goodbye in that way that I, that I would have liked to. So that's the struggle. And we have not had a, um, a memorial service yet because her, her twin sister was not well at the time and she's doing better now and of COVID and all that. And I want, and some of them are on the East coast and we were on the West coast at the time. So we haven't done that, which will hopefully um, be another great part of the healing process to help us, you know, talk about her uh, and revere her and, you know, just spend time thinking about her. So, yeah, I I would just say that, you know, if you're going like everything in life, if you're going through it, just uh, keep going. Yeah. You know, uh, I would have left the priesthood a long time ago if I didn't believe that uh, the promises Jesus makes are true. And that one passage in the Gospel of John where he says, uh, I will see you again. When I see you again, our hearts will be filled with a joy that no one can take from us. You think you're going to see Anne again? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'll see her in, in, uh, at the right hand of the Father. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Now, last week, two weeks ago, we had the actor, great actor, Joe Montaigne on. And he has a daughter who's autistic. And I asked him, you know, what did he make of that? And he said, Everyone's dealt with their dealt, and you have to learn to cope with it and deal with it. Um, and I asked him the follow-up question, which is really my question for you. Did you go through a period, Joe, at this disappointment where you wanted to shake your fist in God's face and say, why am I being given these challenges? In the same way, with the havoc sometimes of your life, 
um, much as we, at the end of the day, hopefully, you know, love and have a relationship with God. Did you go through a, I'm ticked off at you, God period? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I still, I still have my moments, but yeah, <laughs> I was pissed off at, uh, I was pissed off at God when I was in the Los Angeles and I was out there, you know, with I had two college degrees and, and like, you know, I couldn't buy, couldn't buy a job. <laughs> and I was pissed off and I was like, I don't get this. I understand that that's the, that's the night I, you know, prayed and got down on my knees. Um, but still I go through stuff with family when family is, uh, you know, when someone's sick or, or the, mm-hmm. the whole, or why God, you know, yeah. why, why me, why us, why them? Yeah. And, and as I get older, it's even more pronounced because, you know, you know, these things happen more often mm-hmm. as you get older, or they seem to happen more often as you get older. They actually don't, don't happen more. They just seem to. So, yeah, I, I go through that and, you know, um, you need to read the, you need to read the Bible when you feel that way, you need to mm-hmm. read the word, you need to get into the word, you need to go to church, you need to see your family, you need to you know, do all those things that, and, and I think God appreciates us being mad at him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, I think he appreciates it. it. It's kind of letting us know, letting him know we, we actually are um, alive yeah. and, and in it, in it, in it with him. Right. Mm-hmm. And that he uh, wants us to, you know, lean on him. So I think that's why you, why you are angry. Let's go back for a second to Mr. Capra. Um, in the interview we did with him, he said that he came here, Sicilian immigrant, and here's what he noticed, that if you were an immigrant and you were Catholic, you were not mainstream America, you were not going to be successful, that WASP was the way to go. And so he said, I left the church for a long time. I joined a bunch of Protestant churches until a moment came, he said, where Lucille, my Protestant wife, said to me, we're going down the block this week to the Catholic church and our three kids are being baptized and I'm becoming a Catholic and you're going home because you'll never be the person you're supposed to be unless you go home. I mentioned that because Capra said one of the things he was frightened by was he felt that uh, it was an innate prejudice against Catholics, certainly back then, and that he didn't want to be uh, marginalized because of his faith. Have you as a man of faith run into any kind of grief? Not in the business? Yeah. Uh, no, no. Okay. Um, you know, Hollywood uh, accepts everything, as, you, as, <laughs> <laughs> as we know. So they accept the good, the bad and the ugly, and they accept everything. And they're not in the business of um, censoring, not, not, not in my experience. Uh, mm-hmm. In my experience, they're not in the business of censoring me personally for, for my faith. Um, it's not even a discussion. It's, uh, no one's even asked me about it or discussed it. Yeah. Um, I also don't do what I would say Christian or Catholic films. I do what, right. what the stories I want to tell. Um, so my lens isn't that. Although everything kind of ends up being mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe that. Maybe that's what that's what the word sentimental means for people. Yeah. Is that um, life? Life is good and, and it works out, right? Yeah. Uh, well, that's the promise of, of God, right? Is that, is that it works out. So, yeah, no, I haven't experienced that. I think Hollywood is very, actually, I think Hollywood embraces um, differences. Okay. Tell you wear several hats on a lot of your productions. You're producing, you're directing, very often writing the screenplay. Um, what do you love best of the things you do? And what's the hardest to do of the many hats you wear? What do I love best? Uh, that's a very hard question. Um, I love writing the best when I'm writing mm-hmm. and I love directing the best when I'm directing and I love producing the best when I'm producing. 
So it's uh. it's whatever. I, I'm equally uh, writing was my first love and how I grew up. Mm-hmm. And then I started directing as a default, really, as to like, you know, really have control of my own material. And, and that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, but I love them all. It, it's all filmmaking. Um, it's all the same. I, I don't think you can write if you can't direct. I don't think you can direct if you can't write. I think mm-hmm. they're all kind of married together. I think producing is a very creative, uh, similar, um, similar path. Uh, if you can't write and direct, it's hard to produce. You don't understand it. Like they all just kind of, they're all cousins if you ask me. So I don't really have a love. I just tell you my love is making, is filmmaking. Yeah. So whatever aspect of it is. Last minutes I got on this, Ted. What's, what's next for you? Uh, hopefully I'm going to do this film called Fruit Loops mm-hmm. uh, at Paramount. And um, it's a story of five uh, residents of a mental institution who find out that the place is being sold and shuttered and made into condos for wealthy people. And so uh, they take it over. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Yes, yes, <laughs> and I promise last question. Um, anyone listening to this interview today would have to say, he's kind of a positive guy. He's upbeat. He's, he's, he's got the best of sentiment. The root of your hope, because you are a hopeful guy, is what? The root of my hope? Yeah. Uh, as a 50-year-old now, I, I have enough perspective to say, um, Everything I didn't think would work out in my life has worked out. Wow. And I owe that to God and my faith in God, and my belief in God. So um, I would say that's the source of my hope uh, is my relationship with, with God. And then my, my parents, really, as crazy as it was, um, <laughs> yeah. as crazy as it was, they all ultimately loved us and taught us to be the best we could be. Yeah. Thank you for that, Ted. And uh, you are, and I mean this as the best compliment possible, you are a terribly Capra-esque figure. (laughs) And that's a good thing. Thank you so much for being with us. As we end today's program, I want to thank you all for being with us. If you need to reach me for any reason, you can get me at personallyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. For not only this program, but past programs, go to YouTube and search under Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Santi. And please don't forget to click like and subscribe. Personally Speaking is also available as a podcast on personallyspeakingpodcast.buzzsprout.com. You can get past shows also by going to www.closeencountertv.com or www.ollmp.org. Personally Speaking is also on Facebook at Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Santi. We're also now on Instagram at Personally Speaking Podcast. Please share and let others know about Personally Speaking. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer, Personally Speaking. Our producer is Lisa Jandovitz. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking. Personally Speaking.